Hey everybody, it's Mark here at the Portsmouth Basketball Podcast. I just wanted to say a big thank you to everybody who's supporting the podcast, listening, sharing it out there with everyone else to listen. We really appreciate this feedback. Myself and Paul put a lot of time into this, so we thank you so much. We do listen to your feedback. We're going to start chopping down the episodes and splitting them into a part one and part two for those longer editions. Some of the others will be just under the hour as normal. For those long interviews, we're going to chop them up and make it easier for you to digest. So look out for the episodes that are coming up like that, starting with this one today. Let's get into it. Uh, welcome back to another edition of the Portsmouth Basketball Podcast. Welcome back. Welcome back indeed. I'm your co-host Mark. I am Paul. And we have another guest with us. We have an absolute legend. A legend. A Portsmouth legend today. Legend. How legendary? Well, let me just go through his basketball history. Let's have a You've resume. got Portsmouth FC Basketball Club, part of that junior setup. You've got Solent Stars. Portsmouth Pirates. This is that National League section that we don't know anything about. He's going to talk to us about that. Then, more recently, he actually played in the Portsmouth Force. And obviously with GB. And over 50s GB captain. Wow. It's not you, is it? It's No, it's not me. You look over 50. Well, I'll tell you what. Let me introduce him now. Sorry. For those listening, <laughs> I've got all these buttons to my to my left hand side and it's it's Is it's, it like NASA for you? We isn't almost it? need someone else to do that, do don't we? we? Okay. What are you and now, now stand, stand and cheer, cheer. at number eleven, number 11 power, power forward, forward Andy, Andy Rollers. Thank you for that, Paul. Hey, we got it out. Got it out. Got it out in the end. So, Andy, welcome. How are you doing, mate? I'm all right. Yourselves? Very good. Very good. Thank you, Very sir. good. So, I mean, I just want to crack straight in. Really, there's this National League section that we know happened, and you've just thrown a bombshell when you've come in here today because you said, you've officially said it was called the Ports of Pirates. So, we, we got a name for it now. We have a name for it. Yep. We, we always weren't sure. It was something. It was something floating yeah. there, wasn't it? We thought it could be smugglers, but yeah. Andy's confirmed pirates. Ports of pirates, yep. And the other bombshell, it went on for nine years. <laughs> I think about that that long, yeah. I mean, it's a long time ago, but I think it was late 90s to early 2000s. Well, I definitely watched a game in 96. I remember that, and then there was a couple of games I went to, but I didn't realise that it went on for, you know, almost a decade. Yeah, I, th- I think I think so. so um, it's, it's almost a yeah, continuous... Continuous flow, yeah. Continuous flow between the teams, would you say, or there was gaps between some of them? Maybe a year gap. A two yeah. year gap, but it's just it kind of you know up and down like a like a you know like a graph like quite quick lose a team another one comes up because yeah. we see we, we when we talked at the, at the beginning Andy we were talking about how where it all started from and then with Portsmouth Basketball FC yeah. kicking off from that and if you think it's over forty years of basketball in city yeah that's that's quite 
quite a lot of teams and quite a lot of people who've been playing and involved and everything mm. like that. But the actual history of all the teams that are going through and some of the players, we, you know, we're lucky to have you here. So we're missing so many gaps Yeah. of what was going on. Well, I'll tell you what, let's start there then with the Portsmouth FC basketball. So you, yeah. what, what, what were you there? You were a junior? I was a junior there. Um, went through to probably about under-18s. And then moved over to Solent Stars from there. So we were playing home games at the Mountbatten Centre, training at what was Great Sultan's School, which became Portsmouth Sixth Form College, which is now Portsmouth College that's on Tangier Road. Um, the odd training session was inside Fratton Park. They had a little gym in there. Yeah, they did. The, the gym alongside the stadium, didn't yeah. they? Yeah. Which I think you could get three on three in there, but we were doing five on five. It's like so it's it a quite, wooden quite gym, tight. wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, wooden gym, no runoff underneath the basket. So if you're going too fast, you hit the wall. Safe, safe. Yeah. I like it. Uh, there's no no health and safety back then, but would have been the old wooden floors, so that'd have had yeah. a good bit of sort of spring to it. And I mean, I remember going in there a, a, a couple of times, and I always looked back thinking it was a nice court. I'd say it was a nice court for, like you say, the floor. Mm. But size-wise, I'd say, I'd, I'd say it was, what, one, two badminton courts in Oh, really? Length. Yeah. I remember it being quite long. big for me. Yeah. But, but I, I would little. have been, yeah, I would have been mm. seven or eight. Yeah. Um, so like, have you got any memories of, you know, some of those, like, legend players that we know, like Colin Irish? Have you got any memories of, of those guys? Um, I remember watching... And you know, as as we went up to the age up through the age groups at at Portsmouth, we never trained with them because you know they were BBL level at that time. We were just the juniors, um, but I did get to play and train with him over at Solent a number of years later. Oh wow! And that was an experience playing with him, Alan Cunningham, uh, Mike Spade, those sort of guys that wow. you know. 10 years before you were watching and then you actually get to play and train with them that yeah. must have been amazing yeah because they're like yeah like you're watching them play for you're, what, you're watching them you're seeing them you're thinking oh that's something I want to do and and like I keep saying on this podcast for a two year period Portsmouth FC Basketball Club was the best team in the country yeah they yeah. won the BBL two years in a row oh yeah yeah 100% yeah and then you're playing with them at Solent yeah, it was. When you look back at it, you think, "My God, that's amazing." Yeah. But at the time, it was just, yeah, I'm just playing basketball. They're just another, <laughs> another teammate, uh, and you, you were learning from them. I mean, there were times where the view was, you've probably heard it. Don't let someone come through the lane. Yeah. Without being touched. We as young, younger players would try and go through that lane in a training session. And it was like being a pinball. <laughs> Good luck with that. Yeah. You hit the first guy, or the first guy hit you, into the next one, into the next one, into the next one, and you came out the other side. Yeah. Um, I remember seeing one guy went through the lane, had his hands down around his waist. Next thing you know, the ball smacked him in the face. <laughs> and he was told, you'd never go near the basket without your hands up. Yeah. Wow. Every, every time from that point on, He's, as soon as one foot went in the lane, his hands were up by his face, ready to catch a ball. 
But you know what? It's really interesting. Yes, Andy s- says <laughs> says uh, th- some of the things he's saying here because I remember as a young player coming through the lane and getting absolutely clattered in the chest by Andy Rowlands <laughs> and, and coming out the lane just like <laughs> can't breathe. <laughs> Yeah, he's yeah. just passing it on. Just yeah. passing the light. Yeah. Passing yeah. the wisdom, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and enjoying the... himself at the process. <laughs> well, yeah, there is that. <laughs> As so, you probably saw in some of the games last season. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was just like, uh, you know, I thought it was amazing watching you play, um, you know, National League Division Three. That was brilliant. Oh, yeah. Um, very, 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 very good. My only... Um, not, for, I don't know what the right word. Not frustration is disappointment. We, yeah, maybe disappointment. My only disappointment. We all wanted you to get on the score sheet. Hundred percent. And and you are such a selfless player. You were looking out. You were absolute veteran last year. Really looking after the people, helping, compliment them. But from our perspective, looking at you, we were like, we really want to see him score. Yep. Well, yeah, I can understand that, but. I also play with the thought of, you know, it's not me, it's the team. Yeah. I would I would give up a good shot for a better shot if someone else has got a better shot. Um, and also I know that, you know, going down the road, these are the guys that are going to be playing next year, the year after, the year after. Yeah. And if you're taking away their chances to build their own confidence, you're not helping them. Yeah. And you it's know what? It's a great what? mentality, man. That's really, really great mentality. And... I've just got a, a question, kind of touching on what you just talked about there. So you, you're turning up with Colin Irish, and we're saying the physicality is right up there. Yeah. Where would you say the physicality is National League now compared to then? I mean, we were talking last time um, that you could punch someone in the face and it was a foul. And obviously now you'd be ejected from the, the well, league probably. I think punching in the face is probably bit over the top <laughs> even back then but you do remember some of the good elves playing though, yeah right i do Just, yeah <laughs> I mean, they, they always talked a good game um, but if you want to talk about the physicality then and now i mean the easiest comparison is you look at detroit back in the 90s the bad boys bad yep. boys and the physicality in the nba then to what it is now yeah. Oh, look, They're Mark's got the shirt on. 1990s Pistons. The, the, yeah. I mean, they, they won it two years in a row. Was it 89, yeah. 89 and 90? Yeah. And yeah, and that is the case now. It's, you know, it is a different game. Back then, back in the 80s and the 90s, I'd say it was a sport. Now it's an entertainment. Yeah. You don't want, you know, NBA or even over here, you don't want a packed arena seeing the best players getting injured and not being able to play yeah so but they choose to sit out now don't they they have contracts that say oh i can have eight days off when i feel like it and all that nonsense but i think going on what you're saying andy one of the things we noticed when we got up we we did a little walk around when uh there was a game on that was orlando in orlando indiana and we just wandered around the sides and how long we could linger before they made us go back to our seats but the noise of the physic, the athleticism and the physicality. Oh yeah, it, it was it, literally. Yeah, it, like all, all, all. And that was inside. Orlando, Indiana. It wasn't even a. It was the beginning of the season. Yeah. It was, you know, they were just getting into things. Uh, 
he thought, oh, okay, then there's still some big hits here because they're all big chaps. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you, you will get that, but if, like I say, if you go back and look at it back then, it was physical. They would hit people. They would be happy to almost have a fight. Nowadays, it's a lot more, or you touch someone, there's a foul. Yeah. It's... The size, it of the, is a different the size of the team as well in Silent Stars, for example. Yeah. Quite, quite a, you're quite a big team in comparison to the force now. Well, definitely. If you yeah. had Alan Cunningham. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Colin Irish was like, what, 6'7"? Mike nah, Spade? Colin would have, I think Colin was about 6'6". Six, 6'6". Six. Six, six. Mike Spade but was big, wasn't he? Spade was big, 6'10". Mm. Um, Cunningham, you know, 6'10", six, 6'11". Six, um, Mark Scott was there another one but then a lot of the teams have flipped again to like the, the play now is I won't say hook up a three but yeah I mean, th that dynamic of the whole game the has whole, changed the whole game's it? moved away from the basket so the physicality has gone a bit because you're not fighting underneath the basket for the ball no. and for position whereas back in the day you know you didn't have your three pointers or it was a new thing so it was still get the two points get a close in two fight for your spot yeah and I, su I suppose the other dynamic where it's definitely changed is probably the ac the actual um fitness levels where yeah. it's so specifically like there is a i mean i'm not saying they weren't fit in those days i mean look at jordan in the 90s of course he was super fit but yeah but he's the blueprint on that isn't he because he was the crossover there's more focus the on it isn't it yeah 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 he brought that athleticism with the physicality because he used to get beaten up and everything. So he brought all of that across in. And you see the the last dance, he talks all about that, doesn't he? How he, he was shaped of like getting beaten up by people at Oakley and stuff. <laughs> you just, you know, what are you going to do with that sort of thing? Mm. But I think it's it, like in rugby where kicking the ball in rugby was nothing. Like if you kick the ball, it, like when we were at school, you kick the ball, it was, you got your butt kicked and then all of a sudden Wilkinson does it in the World Cup and then every team for about the next decade all they did was kick the ball in rugby yeah and when you start seeing people hit a lot of threes and even you know Reggie Miller Steve Kerr they're all faint they're well known for hitting a big three but wasn't really to this more modern advent of players just being closer to the logo than they were the three-point line even yeah that's massively changed the game and defensively for, for like the for a big player they want the big player to be a three-point shooter yeah and they're not having a hand in the face so arguably they're always going for the uncontested shot i guess i don't know yeah i mean is it a better game there's a lot of threes i it's mean a you different know what? Game. it's a different game watching the portsmouth force last season there was a lot going on down low you yeah. know we had um but that's why i think they were successful because there's a lot of other teams were just there sitting in the perimeter and, and they, they're quite happy to be out there and they want to be the let's hit a showtime three. But the interesting thing with last season, the, the team that won the league mm -hmm. was Cardiff and they were extremely physical, especially down low. Real big guys, know yeah. that like ACAA player. Yeah, yeah. But that, that that's the gap, isn't it? Because the whole game shifted this way, so bring it back back into the fundamentals, go low, get a big man in there, make some space and and, and rebound. Yeah. So, Andy, going yeah. on back onto Portsmouth FC, 
um, and, and, and the pirates. I mean, I don't think we can do a podcast without talking about Mickey Byrne. Yeah. Um, you know, what, what are your memories of Mick? Memories of Mick. How long have we got? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bearing in mind, Mick's been there or thereabouts in my career from the, the age of 11, 12. Wow. All the way through to right now. Um, probably the best fundamentals coach I've ever had or seen. He's always been there. He's always been supportive of his players. He knows what he wants. Yes, he does. Lo- he did lose his temper a few times, but who doesn't? Um, but you knew. You knew if if you pleased him, you knew if you'd upset him. So there was no sort of like shying away from you know, a coach that was like, "I'll put my arm around you, but I really don't like what you've done," and trying to sugarcoat things. You know, he was old school. If he was upset with it, you, you knew about it. If he it. was upset yeah. with it, you knew about it. Yeah. Um, wasn't always the best coach for some people. You know, some people need, you know, if you go back, now, if you look at things nowadays, you've, you've got it. Everyone learns a different way. Everyone needs to be treated a different way. With Mick, it was this way or, or not. Mm. But, you know, that's, that's the time that he, he was brought up in, being in the Navy, the time we were. You know, but the thing I liked about Mick was he, he gave it to you straight. There was yeah. no BS with him. So he would say to <laughs> Absolutely him, not. like, and, and you know what? I always felt with him, he kept it really simple. And he said things in a way where just me personally, I understood he would be like, Paul, box out better. Yeah. Box out more. Or he would he would say something really direct and you're like, right, that's what I need to focus on. Um. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 really interesting, isn't it? Seeing that that was a, I want to say a moment in history, but it's continued all the way through, and it's the running theme of Portsmouth basketball. Yeah, it's it's the running theme of all of our conversations, isn't it? I, I mean, mean, definitely, it's. I mean, it's sad to say, but it's only really from the Portsmouth Force now, where we're you know, I mean, he was kind of an honorary chairman. Um, but yeah, it's only now moving forward. We're like, okay, it's he, he isn't there. But you know, like I was saying to, um, I think I said it to you actually on on the trials. Like this is Mick's legacy. Yeah, hundred you know? percent. And I just, you know, I just, I like to think he's looking down, just going, yeah, this is my legacy. But you could do that better. Oh yeah, you probably <laughs> say that. But if you want to look at his legacy, look at the people that were his funeral. You could look at that and you could almost map out the years just by the people that were there and the groups that they were in. You, you know, yeah. I was there and I could, yeah, they were from the 80s, they were the 90s, they were the 2000s. And you could tell just by who was there, the groups that they were with. And it just showed where he had been and what he'd been involved in. Yeah. And I, and I think we said it before, like, and, it was only when Mark really mentioned it um, in this way, it just really, really affected me. It was when you said, look, he's kind of been a father figure for you for, yeah, what's this? for what, 30 years? It's a huge male influence. Yeah. You know, he, he was who he was. 
And uh, like you said, he told you straight, but you're a competitive person. And because you and your brother always were at the basketball, he dealt with you both in different ways. And he, he used to wind you up because you wound him up. But then that made you want to prove a point which got the best out of you. Yeah. And then with Andy, he tried a different tactic. Yeah. But I think I think his legacy is, is 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 as much in in seeing all of the youth teams and seeing all that come through and seeing a path because you know I remember us going to Saturday mornings yeah and then getting trained doing the fundamentals and then even when he wasn't doing it you took over and I think we even had Jason did some lessons sometimes I think Jason took over the port when he started the ports of fire I think he was doing his own youth thing so I think maybe it was going on at the same time there was some crossover where we were doing some bits and and then I think then we ended up with um, Andy at the what's the other place Wimbledon Park or Green Wimbledon Wimbledon. Park yes 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 yeah but all of those that, that I mean the legacy is that you've got people now and I think Rob said that when the youth team was coming through, they had, what, 40 kids turn up for oh, tryouts or something? No, no, that's for, like, each National League team. So yeah. for under under 12s, I think it was, like, 20 kids, and they picked 15. Under 14s, it was, like, I want to say 36. Yeah, I mean, that's fantastic. But under 16s, it was, like, 46. Yeah. I don't know, what was it for under 18s? 40-plus, I think. Yeah. I think overall we had... Over 200 people so come good, to trials weekend. And then you had the men's, and then, again, there's probably a good 40 for the men's. I'd say, but yeah, I'd say just under 40 for the men's were there. And you didn't have some of last year's players no. who will know there's a good chance they'll play. No, they, um, they've got to prove themselves. Yeah. I'm not saying anything else. They've just got, you know, <laughs> last year's players, they've got to prove themselves. You know, you don't walk back into a team these days. Was so, that was that always the case? Going through all the, the, you know, the roster of teams you played for, was that always the case? You played last year, this year you got to prove it again? Yeah, yeah. Or, I mean, yes, some players, you could almost say some players were guaranteed. But there was always that, you know, you, you have trials, you, you keep going. You know, you can't sit on your laurels. And I think that's the problem these days. Some people think, yeah, well, I scored 50 points last week. I'm fine. Well, every game's different. Every season's different. Mm. Yeah. Um, Andy, so, you know, you, you you talked about, you know, the progression from Portsmouth FC Basel Club and then you went to the Solent Stars. Yeah. Did Solent win anything then with, you know, Colin, Alling and, and, and Mike Spade? Um. Because I know they those guys went a few years after Solent Stars. They went to they were Worthing, didn't they? Yeah, they were at Worthing. So when I went to Solent, um, Alan, Colin weren't there. It was likes of Roy Lewis, Paul Philp, um, and a lot of the Solent juniors. Chase Colburn was there. Oh, Martin Dowdle. Martin Dowdle. Yeah. Um, Joe Morant, John Rumsey. Um, John Ramsey, yeah, yeah, I love him, yeah. One Div 4. I think that was the year that I joined near the end of that season. So they went up 
won won Division Four, got promoted, um, won the playoffs in in Div Three, got promoted, got up to Div Two, got promoted, got up to Div One. Wow. So, Why? That's was, a good stretch. <laughs> it, it, yeah, I mean, obviously they weren't back-to-back promotions, but you know that's that's what what went on while I was there. So, what happened with the Reading Rockets? Because you went and played for Reading. So, what, yeah. did you leave Solent, or was it just a better opportunity? It was my time at Solent had come to an end. Um, it was roughly when Mick was starting up um, Portsmouth Pirates. He had come back to Portsmouth. But I was working in Reading at the time. So oh, okay. Oh, perfect. The sensible thing to me was I was getting up in the morning at six o'clock, driving to Reading, doing a full day's work. Did I want to drive all the way back home, then train? Mm. Or I had the opportunity to stay a couple more hours at work, a couple of days a week, go into Re- go train with Reading and play for Reading. Oh wow! And and look, I I, I mean I, I know what Reading are like nowadays. Are, are they were they the, that powerhouse in those days as well? They weren't the powerhouse, but they were a good strong team. Okay. Um, you probably I don't know if you'll remember the name, but the coach at the time was Dave Titmus. Oh yeah. So he as well as coaching Reading Rockets, he was the GB wheelchair coach. Yeah. So decent level coaching there. Um, I say. It was, I I did a year, I was there for a year, but it was just the travel, just killed me. So I was getting home about 12 o'clock, half 12, to get up again the next day at six. Sorry, where, so where were you? You were still in base in Portsmouth? Still based in oh Portsmouth. So I mean, we haven't, we, haven't touched on, we haven't touched on that too much, actually, about travel, really, but no. the amount of travel that you have to do, yeah, it's quite a lot. And that's not just... On a you know have a nice relaxing Saturday is it? No, no. But that is a, as extreme as it gets. Mm. So playing a national league for Reading in Port from oh, Portsmouth, Portsmouth, that's that's hardcore. Yeah. And, and talking it, about travelling, <laughs> that's hard. You know, this was a, you know something we've been talking about over a, f- a few episodes is. Do you prefer home games or away away games? Because we felt with the away games, there's this camaraderie that's getting built in the bus with the team. And um, for me personally, now at my age, home games. <laughs> <laughs> now, do do I want to sit in a minibus with twelve other people, minimum, for two and a half, three hours, sit stuck in there? You know, you're all over six foot cramped you're painting a wonderful picture Annie yeah but yeah that, that's that's sweaty that's what it was I mean <laughs> go back go back to sort of like Solon time we had Nick Burns seven foot one you're in a minibus with someone like that and all your kit bags yeah there wasn't a lot of space and I'm like at 52 now I'll go to some away games but I drive myself. <laughs> I think Mick splashed out on the uh, on the minibus when he did the Portsmouth Smugglers because I can't remember the minibus being much of a problem. It depends on the so- obviously the size of the minibus and the size of your players. Uh, yeah, that's true. And I think over the years, different teams and different people have worked out how to pack the bags in the minibus properly. <laughs> 
they got room, leave room for beer apparently Paul isn't that right yeah in the smugglers days that's yeah. what I used to take a like a beer cooler and yeah. fill it with ice and just put beer in and then um, the, the, the funny um, story that I told these guys was if you lost Mick would be like good out you're not having any of that beer no one's touching it and you'd go yeah. oh okay and then it'd be silence and then 20 minutes down the motorway crack <laughs> That's only Coke, honest. Yeah, yeah, it's just lemonade. And you see Mick, Mick's eyes like looking in that and thing, and you just just keep it down, go under the seat. Yeah. yeah. So that takes us on the pirates. Yeah. And so, Reading. so yeah. from Reading onto the pirates, then. Yeah. So they travelled too much. You like, bam, Mick's doing this team. Mick's doing and the team. And that is remember. That's when I remember you playing it in '96. Yeah. And coming to watch, and you know, back in Mountbatten Centre. Yeah. Um, and what a venue that used to be. Yeah. Well, do you like the court? We had we had a discussion yesterday, literally about the court. You and me were talking about if you liked it or not. And I, I think I on the one with Steve, we floor. actually talked about it as well. The floor it was is very hard, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. The, the venue's great. The venue, venue's great. Venue's great. The floor wasn't brilliant. Not forgiving. But if you go right back to Portsmouth FC. If you ever went to any of those games, they had a carpet that they would roll out and lay on the centre court at the Mountbatten Centre. So they never really? played. Yeah, they never played on the tiled floor. They always had a, a carpet. Really? Court. They were playing on a carpet. I, I call it a carpet. It's like it was oh, like a special matting. Yeah, a, I never knew a court that. Wow, didn't know that. Yeah, Andy so. Rowlands with a huge piece of information we knew nothing about. So all of those times I got like a burn on my leg from sliding on the floor or something could have been avoided. Yeah, a bit of carpet. And that makes sense because I always look back and went, why were they playing on such a hard floor? But if they had something down, that makes sense. Because that yeah. was a hu- that was an arm forgiving yeah. floor. Yeah, you, especially if you're like just a little slip or something. Yeah, and you know what I I, I do remember. Um, I mean, I, I was very very young. But I do remember, and it's something that I've been trying to encourage in the Ports of Force. I remember back in those days, you would have a men's game, let's say, 7 o'clock. But you would have like one of your games before. And people would turn up, watch that, and then just carry on watch the men's. Um, I I think that's quite nice because it allows the younger guys or even the kids, you could get the under-12s to do it, to have a taste of that experience. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think the trouble is, though, it's costs. Um, back in those days, you know, Portsmouth Football Club were bank. John Deacon was bankrolling the basketball team, so you know, money wasn't really a problem. You're now looking at trying to hire. If you want to do that, you're hiring, raveling for three hours for the men's game, add another couple of hours on on the front of that for a junior game. Yeah, that's five hours of a double court yeah. that you've got to pay for. Well, there is a, a good news about that solution because uh, on our last podcast, Paul actually announced that if he wins the Euro Millions, he's actually going to build a, a purpose-built stadium. I can confirm that if I win the Euros Millions. Don't if, worry about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you've got a 50-50 chance. <laughs> he's thinking a 3,000-seater. He's all He's all in. Yeah. No, I think, yeah, three, maybe 4,000. You've got to be focused BBL. Build a little yeah. arena for that, but it's having the it, the main thing is having the bleachers because obviously yeah. we're forced at the moment we're raveling. You've got those lovely bleachers, but one side. Yeah. If you had that other side, 
Well, do you think they'll ever swap I've, court rounds and have to, like bleachers both sides? Um, I mean, they'd they'd have to get a centre net and do the flooring yeah, thing as well. They'd have to redo the floor, get more bleachers, store the bleachers somewhere, sort out rings. Um, I've had this discussion with Rob, chairman, because um, he said, no, he wants a thousand in there. And I said, we're not being funny, but I'd rather play with what we've got at the moment and have it packed. Yeah, build it up. Yeah. Than have half of it empty. We get to the end of this season and you're having to turn people away that means you've got a really good product yeah i think focus i think you're right focus on getting like 500 people on there and just take those little steps but yes if you've got 500 people in there and you've got 500 people outside yeah we need to do something about yeah. it but we were getting 350 last four home games so yep. yeah if the focus goes to 500 finish that season if you're getting that okay now let's talk about yeah. the next seating step on up. the ends isn't yeah. it yeah end bits seating at the ends yeah. talk talk to the university at that point and say look we're bringing this in what can we do yeah I because mean because at the end of the day it's the university's building it was designed for the university there wasn't a basketball team around at the time so I, I think the big question mark would be the fire guidelines because yeah, at yeah. the moment you, ha you can only get 600 people in the sports hall yeah so I don't know, would they change that or could, uh, what happens? Could Mountbatten make a resurfacing? Well, they do have bleachers both sides. They That's have the bleachers thing about both it. sides. They're um, the only ones who could facilitate yeah. a thousand people. I mean, I think if you look historically, when we used to sit there, we were maybe sitting a bit differently to how they might have people now. They might have, yeah. I think there was about 1,500 people there in those games, wasn't yeah. there? So, but still I, get a thousand I reckon I, I remember being at, at games at the Manbatten Centre and they were we were three four five deep on the balcony yeah oh wow the VIP yeah. section yeah you had a you had a VIP section up on the balcony and you had people four or five deep up on the balcony because all the bleachers were full so wow that's so cool it's it's such a shame that there's limited photography of that I mean, it's just little, little crappy yeah. pictures of the court, and yeah. you don't get that. Um, you know, you don't see. It's that not that recognition that they were the best team in the league. Yeah, like that's not a small thing to achieve. And it was the double, and then just bam, suddenly stopped. It's yeah. uh, again. Well, it got sold to Glasgow. Oh, did it? Yeah, Glasgow Football Club bought the, bought the basketball team. And so, where did it go from there? Went up to Glasgow. So the players went to Glasgow. Oh my God, this what, is Seattle the, the all over The entire team? The entire team got sold to Glasgow. So they all had to go up? Yeah. I think, I don't know whether all of them went, but, you know, because that's basically what happened to start the club. John Deacon bought a team from somewhere in the Midlands. Going with T, didn't it? Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Might have been um, Telford, Telford or Telford, something like that. Yeah, I think it was. So it's something like that. He bought a team from the Midlands, bought them down. And, you know, that's what happened. They, they then got sold, sold off to Glasgow. So, so maybe it's the that's Supersonics why... all over again. It's upsetting. <laughs> he's, he's not that he's better about that. Uh, it's very bitter. I still don't do Starbucks to this day. That well, weasel sold them. I think <laughs> at some point in the future... Bill. Don't. Let's not go there. The Sonics will be back. 
They'll be back. Uh, yeah, I've been saying that for like 20 years. I gave up and started supporting the Mavs. <laughs> and I'm wearing a piston stop, so I'm just, I'm a confused supporter. What can I say? Wow. So they just sold him off and that was yeah. it. I mean, Andy's throwing bombshells. Since he's, he's walked in this door, he's been throwing bombshells. Stuff we didn't know. So That's why he's the legend. That is Andy Rowland. Wow. So you went to the Redding Rockets and the Ports Pirates and you had yeah. good days at the Pirates. How, how successful was the Pirates? We weren't as successful as I think Mick would have liked. Because obviously you start again at the bottom. But I think he used it again as a pathway for players. Was that Div 4 again? Div 3, Div 4, yeah. Yeah. So start giving giving players in the area a pathway so that they could get back on to playing National League level. I mean, you've got you've got a lot of experience in that progression between going from Div 3, Div 4, Div 3, yeah. going up. You've done that with a few teams now. What, what do you think you know, bringing that forward to the force, what do you see? How how could you do a blueprint for that moving forward? I don't think there is a blueprint. Um, a blueprint would require everybody to be doing the same thing, and you find a way to beat everybody. If you look at most teams, everyone's got their own way of playing, so one what one size doesn't fit all. So you could turn around and say, okay, the best thing for force is we play with two big guys, three guards, pump the ball inside. That's great against a team that haven't got any big guys. You come up against a team whose big guys are as good as yours and their shooters are better than yours, you've got a problem. Yeah. You have to adapt and, you know, and that's that's coach. Your coach has to read, you've got to have scouts see what's going on and some of it's luck um, I'll say this as a player you, know, you can't always know what a referee is going to see in a game yep I mean Paul you've been there as a player you've been there as a referee what you think as a player and what you've seen as a player isn't always what a referee sees and if the referee sees it differently that's what's going to happen um, referees are human referees are emotional and what I say by that is I was out in Venice a couple of weeks ago playing in the tournament we had two teams one guy in one of the teams got ejected three times in six games <laughs> by having he a sounds go like my kind of player <laughs> by having a go at the referee that sounds like your kind of player the referees <laughs> because we were the same club with the same kit started penalising our second team that I was in oh, uh, that's harsh. because yeah. you know they were seeing the same kit the same club name seeing red and going oh that's the team that are causing the problems <sighs> so we didn't get the calls and, and, and that's, that's where referees happened. get it wrong I think when uh, and well, is it referees or is it players you know at the end of the day we're all human we but all make mistakes. I, I do how, think how influential is a ref then? A ref can be extremely influential. Yeah. A ref can decide the game. Like is that as prominent nowadays as it was back then? I think it. I think it still is. Yeah. yeah. I think potentially it's more prominent. Yeah. Um, because referees are given a lot more protection. 
um, change in physicality of the game. A bit of that, but I would even say it's outside of the game. Oh, really? If you go back to, you know, Solent Stars, Ports of Pirates, you'd have your game, you'd play your game, you'd go get changed, you'd go up into the bar afterwards, there'd be food laid on. Home team, away team, and referees were all in there together. Yeah. All chatting, all talking. You talk about the game. You could talk about some bits and pieces. No one got upset. Nowadays, game finishes, referees are gone. You've got no interaction with anybody. You can't build up a rapport with referees. I mean, I remember time we had a referee at Solent. I questioned one of his calls during the game he said no it's this we discussed it up in the bar afterwards trying to get his viewpoint on it and I'll say no you got it wrong it's this it's this it's this the following day he contacts my wife Sarah and says tell Andy he was right I got it wrong wow I'd looked up he'd looked up the wrong book and admitted that he got it wrong and you know what I think that's one thing that is admirable if a referee does it and I, I always remember I tried to do it but I love to see when a referee just turns around and says you know what that was my mistake I interpreted I was anticipating a call that was yeah, yeah. sorry my bad jump ball or something like that I, I loved seeing that because that just shows a referee has integrity but in defence to referees I do think and I only really started thinking this when I started refing um you you don't know the angle and what the ref's seeing no you can't see either so even if you think man that was no way a foul at the same time there's a doubt in my mind that would be like well I don't know the angles he's at do I really know where my my hand the other hand was okay you know what It, it, it could be a foul um but I think just going back to Andy's point having that integrity so when the game finishes and going that's it forget about it done yeah you can never take baggage into another game that is just i think the worst thing and i've seen it loads of times with referees and i think it's the worst thing i I just think it's unprofessional because like you got penalized really because of the actions of a few players in one game and that's just but that's human nature though isn't it and Referees may take baggage into a game. I know players do. I know teams do. You know, how many times have you been to a game, you know, even local league, and gone, oh, it's that referee? Yeah, yeah, you do. You do. So, you know, you already start the game with that thought, he's going to foul me out or he's going to call something bad or they're going to do this. They don't like us. Well, one of the things that you talked about, I mean, when Paul started doing the refing, I remember him saying how it, it made him change his perception of it and quite recently you said you thought that at least one player on every person's team should go and do the refing no i of course, think to, anyone just it, to it, have that baseline of this is the person who's calling the shots and yeah. this you've got to understand their perspective of the game because they're, they're the shot caller ultimately yeah yeah even from standing in a specific location yep um and looking for the gaps looking for the angles once you understand that, like 
there's, you've got the game of basketball being played, but then there's a whole other game that's being played with the referees and the communication between the referees is essential as well. And um, yeah, it completely, you look at basketball completely different once you're a referee. And do, do you think that will give you, that would give players an advantage knowing that? You know what? I, I would say yes. Yeah. And I, for, I, I, I cannot verify this fact, but I'm pretty sure Kobe Bryant um, became a qualified referee. So he would have, even if it was at a small edge where if I go here, I'm out of sight of a ref or it's, um, I think it adds a string to any player's bow. There's another thing I'm going to add on here um, that just came to come to mind. Um, and that is, I do think there's the potential that referees will ref you differently as a player if they know you're a referee. Because there's that expectation of, oh, hang on, I can't make a mistake because he's a referee and there's going to be some judgment there. Um, I don't think they're worried about that. Because I noticed once I became a ref, the calls I got became better. I was like, wow, how am I getting this? My, uh, some of the Fury yeah. guys actually said, why are you getting this? Because you're these being polite to the ref, maybe. This could, time? It could yeah. be the politeness. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that's that's some of it. You could, you know, you could talk to referees back in the day yep. and get away with things. Oh, look, that is unprofessional, isn't it? That is, it is. outrageous. And he's got his phone on. We didn't do the, During a you podcast. Know, here are your exits. Please yeah. turn your phone off. Well, it yeah, is turned off, it's like the everything cinema. Else, that's WhatsApp. <laughs> Oh, there we go. I think that's yeah. a referee. It's popular. Yeah. Popularity, yeah, someone's heard. Yeah, someone's heard. They're probably from the yeah. Kestrels. Um, but you, you know what? Uh, once I did become a ref, I actually, I, I did communicate with them and I'd actually go and try and, and I, I, to proactively have a level head and calm and just say, what did you see there? And, and, and just ask questions rather than be confrontational, just ask the question, what was, what just happened there? Also, what I started to do if I saw the ball go out and it came off me or I saw it came off one of my players, I'd say, ref, that's their ball. Yeah. I mean, I guess there's a... It kind of, sort of ties in with the timeline for the game changing. With Although refing has changed a little bit, but the game has changed the way basketball's played. Certainly in the NBA. But yeah. how is that... How does the game changing in the NBA affect the game in the UK and in FIBA and that sort of stuff because you have a lot of experience of watching that change yeah. because there's been a, a huge shift well also Andy's got a lot of experience in FIBA as exactly. well exactly that's what I'm playing. thinking because we're just talking like some of the UK teams here but obviously you played FIBA and there's crossovers there now and you now you're getting more FIBA players going to the NBA as well yeah more than ever I think the fact that the NBA has become more of an entertainment rather than a sport. Yep. Therefore, certain aspects of the game have been watered down. Traveling, um, you know, the, the bringing, James Harden, the bringing in of the gather step. So you've now got three three steps instead of two steps on a layup. So certain ways of playing, you know, street ball. People seeing that they play street ball, they then try and bring that into an organised game. So is that an evolution of the the Euro step as it was? A little bit of that. Um, I think that's where it started, wasn't it? The yeah. Euro step. The Manu Ginobili special. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But 
you know, those sort of things that have been allowed to happen in the NBA that have then slowly come across because people are doing it. Yeah. I mean, if you go back to when we were playing as or growing up and learning the fundamentals, you would have been told if you put your hand below the center line of the ball, it's a carry. Yeah. Your hand always had to stay above the ball. Yep. How many times do you see in games now where, you know, even over here, a, a player will put their hand underneath the ball, change direction all with the it, time, and yeah. it's not called. I think I think, and we, we're going to get a ref on to find this, but I think the if there's no advantage, uh, like for the offensive player by moving his hand down and coming back, they won't call it. Yeah. If there's an advantage, that's when they'll call is, it. But is I that think, is that flow of play? Is that that kind of we want to just keep the game yeah. flowing? And but there, it's it, still wrong though, isn't there it? There is an advantage though, isn't it? Because if you put your hand underneath the ball, you've got complete control of where you put that ball next. Yeah. You can go un if your hand goes underneath it, you can go the way it was going, or you can pull it back the other way. If your hand's above the ball, you you can't control that ball as easily. Yeah. So there's always an advantage by being able to do it. Yeah, but I mean, they, they don't call they've it used it with you're a bigger player, they've got a bigger hand, or it slips under, yeah. or there's always a something, isn't there? Yeah. Some reason for it. So yeah. it is that. Yeah, I mean, it is funny when you see just seeing the parallel of, of the game that we saw, the fundamentals that you would teach and Mick would teach, and how they're still re relevant today. Yeah. Because they are the fundamentals. Yeah. And if you get those things right, you know, there's a rebound going up, box someone out. Like yeah. They can't, it doesn't matter how big they are, they're not going to get over you. They can't no. jump over you. Yeah. Well, yeah, that I can hear Mick saying that. Yeah. yeah. You put your body between them and the ball, they're not going to get it. Yeah. 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 And if, it's just simple you, stuff, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. If five of you box out, the other team can't get the ball. It doesn't matter if the ball hits the floor and rolls around for 30 seconds. Mm. If you've stopped them from getting it, they can't score. Yeah. Yeah. So Andy, when yeah. going back to again. Last season. Yeah. Like what happened? Like what what made you decide Ports of Force? Because I mean it was the first season. No National League basketball in Portsmouth for uh, a decade. Yeah. And Portsmouth Force came into fruition. Um when they decided the Portsmouth Force name, by the way, Pirates was being there. Pirates was being brought up. I thought Pirates was going to be a good one. I thought oh, that's a cert. That's going to be it. But there's so many different teams called Portsmouth Pirates, like Badminton and Darts or Gamers or whatever that they didn't want. They wanted something original. They, they wanted something original. They wanted something that no one else had, no one else had ever used. I think it went on for about three or four months. We're sort of, oh, what can we use as a name? Then what can we have as a logo? Rather than one or two people saying this is what it's going to be, it went out to I think nearly everybody in the club. What do you think? <laughs> I think the saying is um, a horse is a no, a camel is a horse designed by committee, isn't it? Yeah, that's, yeah the, that's right. But I think I mean the pirates would have been good. You got your market there, like pirate pirate flags. It's quite easy, isn't it? But I mean the force isn't a bad one. When they said force, I was like, hey, on the fury used to be called force. Yeah, brilliant. Like only for one year, yeah. but. Um, yeah, but, uh, that's. I mean, the naming thing is maybe they overthought it a bit too much. I mean, there were some silly ones, wasn't there? Yeah. Um, I can't remember. Red Noughts was one. 
Oh, nice. The admirals. admirals. Yeah. See, I did. The admirals didn't didn't sound great, but I like to. I thought having the abbreviation of the A, like a really big A, like you see in American yeah. culture with uh, like the A on the jersey and call it the A's. Yeah. Um, yeah, and the mascot would have been easy. Just yeah, get a little mini Nelson running around. Something like that. But yeah. I mean, we've digressed here. But so, Andy, why the force? Why'd you why'd you come back after like? Well, you know, 15 years out. I just started playing again for, you know, tied out and got into the GB over 50s team. And the opportunity... He just threw that one in there, yeah. yeah. I I was looking at his shirt and I was thinking, (laughs) I'm bringing that up. (laughs) And it's an opportunity just to try and keep fit. You know, if if I'm playing at a level, but, you know, due to people's work commitments etc for GB we were only able to meet up once a month I had to do something to try and quote stay match fit or prepared for matches so the opportunity was there I tried out I think Daniel saw probably more as a saw me more as a father figure someone to help with the guys that are coming through and just impart some experience rather than as you saw you know I, I played a couple of games but I got more out of the training training with these guys that kept me fit kept me going and that makes sense you got the GB thing going that's keeping you national you're if you're national league fit you're playing with national league div three players you know that's only going to benefit yeah GB yeah um you know what I think when I was watching you throughout the season, I think, yeah, that oh, the, uh, uh, that veteran player, that's how I'd, I'd, I'd phrase it. Um, I think there was one moment, and I'm trying to think of the player who it was, and, you know, they came off, and I just saw you put your arm around him, just was in his ear, and I was just like, you know, yeah, that guy's just benefiting from that because 100%. you're, you know, you're helping him out, but... But let's face it, you're giving him the wisdom that Mickey Byrne, Colin yeah. Irish, Mike Spade, all those guys have given, given you. Me. Yeah. Um, and that's what that's what um, you know, I saw throughout the season, which is why we were all so excited when you actually came on. It was like, yeah, now it's time. Yeah. Here we go. Hundred <laughs> percent it's happening. But you know, going back to that playing, yeah. I think it was the Exeter game. You know, I got those two quick fouls. <laughs> oh, that was at home. Yeah, that was the home game. Yeah, you know the fouls. <laughs> but I spoke to the team manager after the game, and he actually turned around to me and said they wouldn't have been fouls back in the day. And that's and that goes back to the difference in how physical it was back in the nineties to what it is now. So, is it difficult playing? Did you find it difficult with with that transition of physicality changing? I don't think it was the physicality. I think the problem that I had was the brain said you can do this the body said what are you thinking about yeah. so the brain's going yeah you can get there the body's going give no you minute. can't <laughs> give us a minute yeah <laughs> let me just yeah. warm up yeah and that and i think that's that was the problem that i was i had some of the time was you know i thought i could get there the body says no you're not getting there you know you forget that you're you know i was what 30 years older than some of those those guys i'm playing against yeah, but that's, you know, going back to what Paul said, that's your basketball IQ. You're yeah. like, there's the gap. That's where I need to be. I want to walk over here. But yeah. just physically, you're like, 
I need to get round, I need to run round this person, etc. Yeah. Et yeah, but uh, uh, also sometimes, you know, knowledge beats youth. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah, but when you're trying to run, chase down a 20 year old and he's got 30, 30 plus years on you, yeah, I mean, yeah, your knowledge ain't going to help you that much. The Porsche team were quick, they yeah. were very quick. I think they were one of the quickest teams in the league, from what I remember. Yeah. They were, I they, think they, they were. They did they do well. They got to be top three as far as speed. I mean, I remember watching um, Patrick Anaguase. He picked up that ball and it was like three seconds later, he was jog, jogging back yeah. after scoring. It was like, damn, that was quick. That was quick. He is fit. He I, is I, really I fit. genuinely did think Portsmouth were going to run more last season than they did. I thought they were going to come out of the gate a bit faster than they did on some some games took a little while to warm yeah. up definitely and I think uh, you'll see something different this year really? I mean that's experience so. though right yeah that, some of that's experience yeah and, and the team gelling together the team gelling together running plays etc yeah and the personnel that we had then to potentially who we've got this year yep. there are some changes I'm not saying what because obviously wow. that's not for me wow he knows things yeah you all of these players have had a year playing together yeah and some of them, you know, they're university guys, so they've been playing with each other for the university as well. So, you know, as yeah, they're playing like five times a week, aren't they, with as, each other? As you probably saw, you could almost tell, I reckon, by the end of the season, which ones were university players, because the way they were gelling with each other was obvious. Whereas at the start of the season, you're looking at, you know, that's 10, 10 guys that have just joined up and met each other. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you've touched on something there. I, Talk, talk me through an off-season, how that differs, you know, with all the teams that you've played through. What, what is it like in an off-season when you're playing in Portsmouth FC, in the Pirates, in, in Reading, etc.? Um, what are you doing as a player? Back in the day, it was, that's it. Oh, really? Yeah, you'd, you'd finish your season, you, you might go, you might be able to find somewhere to go and shoot occasionally, but you usually had two, like two months off do what you wanted and then you'd, you'd come back a month month and a half before the season started and start training again um, things obviously changing nowadays we're we're back ports and force are back training already and we had the trials in start of july so daniel's got a core of players oh wow he's, the, he's team's, working. the team's team starting then yeah yeah yeah, I mean, I guess you're going to have some introductions in September when the new when year one yeah. students or master degree students turn up or yeah. PhDs. Yeah, maybe. got the potential of more players coming in, depending on you know university who's there. There might be some that come in. And Daniel goes like them. Let's yeah. get them into the squad. Um, we've improved links with the under 18 squad. Or I say improved links. We've now got an under 18 squad. We didn't have one last year. Yeah. So we've got a couple of the under 18s coming up and training with us every so often. Wow. So they're getting the experience of playing with the seniors. Um, Brilliant. They may not get games this year, but they're getting the experience of training and playing. Yeah, because in like two, three, four years' time, time, you know, they're, they're the guys that should be out and there. They're not going to be worried because they've gone through that of oh yeah. yeah i've turned up and you know the one player was um i thought last season was zion zion dawson yeah. so um you know he was 15 playing national league div three i mean he didn't get a load of time it. but 
you know what he was um i think all credit to him uh, i remember he was playing under 14s he was 13 he was playing under 14s and i saw him praying um just you know playing in a, in a game and his dad was next to me and i was like he is not an under 14 player you know that right you need to turn up and i and i was coaching under 16s at the time i said get him to turn up to under 16s he should be playing up he's, yeah. he's good enough he turned up to under 16s the next week and within a couple of minutes i said to his dad he's one of the best players here he's starting five already yeah. and so he played with under 16s and then yeah next year he was playing for the ports of force and it was like wow fair, fair play to him yeah. i mean if i would say not just him but i think you know his dad and um you know his, his older brother is playing uh for brighton football club yeah. and i think he's a left back or right back um but he's looking for a contract in a couple of years time um wow. a professional contract and he's got a little brother who's pretty good as well but the whole family are just really nice but they've they've all got their their heads switched on yeah um you know there's 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 no messing about and i just think that's zion how he performs just a credit to to their mentality well that goes secular as well because just like you were saying at the beginning with Portsmouth FC you were playing in the juniors yeah so you got to play with some of the guys you know maybe do a train occasionally or something when you went to certain stars and then you got to impact the knowledge etc the same thing occurs as it ends in now occurring in the force yeah that's great to hear isn't it so did you did you enjoy playing for the force and yeah. coming back yeah it it brought the love back to, for the game for playing yeah I mean and I'll say that as for playing Obviously, I'd stopped playing for a while, but I carried on coaching. I was coaching basketball, I was coaching football, so I was still involved in the sports. But the playing, it was like, yeah, I'm, I'm not too fussed about playing. Then, you know, getting back into it, it's like, actually, yeah, I'm, I love this. I'm enjoying it again. Part of me is saying, why did I stop? Yeah. But, you know, you, you can't change. You can't change history. You know, there are reasons I stopped now you go back to it and think actually maybe it was the right thing to stop because i've got the love back so that ends this episode of the portsmouth basketball podcast part two of this interview will be coming out in 24 hours so tune in for that one until then wherever you are and whenever you're listening we thank you so so much for your support until then bye-bye